Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of using virtual reality to enhance learning. Today, we are unpacking the topic of experiential learning through gamification. We have the pleasure of talking to David Sarno, founder and CEO of Lighthouse Inc., and Emily O'Neill, creative director at Lighthouse Inc. Welcome to the show, David and Emily. Thank you so much for having us, Craig. We're really excited to be here. Let's just start with a bit of an origin story in regards to what got you guys interested either personally with VR or quite possibly VR to be used to enhance learning. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start um, and I'll try to do mine at 1.75 speed uh, to give Emily <laughs> to share as well. Uh, but uh, so my mom is a, was a librarian and my dad was a computer guy in the um, 70s and 80s and 90s. And so we always had computers, even since the, the earliest consumer computers were around. And, and I had games on those. And at the same time, my mom would read me books at night. And so I sort of developed this, you know, one side of myself that was storytelling and, and literature and one side that was technology and, and computers and, and games, really. And then I kind of continued the, that trajectory um, in, in school where I got a degree in computer science and then I got another degree in creative writing. Um, and then my earlier part of my career, I was a, a journalist uh, at the LA Times and I wrote about uh, technology. So I was doing storytelling about technology. And, um, and then from there, uh, kind of transitioned through time at Stanford, which is one connection to Emily, um, to uh, use technology to tell stories, and that's kind of where the the VR and, and interactive three D part of our of our work comes from. Um, and we started out doing these sort of um, uh, interactive three D versions of explainers at the Stanford Children's Hospital to explain things like um, congenital heart disease, the, the conditions that babies are born with. Um, and that was to help parents understand, you know, and be able to visualize that the hole in the baby's heart or that this part doesn't pump quite right. And uh, so from the very beginning, when we were using these, uh, you know, 3D interactive tools, we saw just the, the light bulb of people understanding finally these really important topics. And those ones were extra, you know, poignant and scary because parents wanted to understand the condition that their children had, but people were grateful and, and you could just see the, the dawning awareness. Um, and the doctors loved it too, because it helped them explain these complicated things to, to patients. So it, we just sort of hit on this new way of making complicated things much more easy and accessible. Uh, and that kind of carried over into the work that we do now, which is much more focused on STEM, uh, basic science learning for high school students, biology, chemistry, physics. Um, and uh, whereas the earlier work was kind of on tablets or on the web, 
sometime in that chronology, VR came around and we said, well, now we're just going to put you inside the heart or we're going to put you inside the cell. Um, and that just became a whole other set of dimensions of experience that made um, learning and understanding uh, that much more powerful. How about you, Emily? Yeah, um, for me, I I was studying human biology at Stanford, the Stanford Connection with David, as he mentioned. Um, and I loved biology, absolutely fell in love with the subject, but didn't really have any interest in being a doctor. So I was pursuing design on the side a bit while I was at school. And um, I tried VR for the first time while I was doing a design internship and at a, at a startup tech conference, just exploring, wandering around, wandered up to some headsets and put it on. And immediately I was like, all right, yeah, this is going to be the whole future of so many things. And I got just totally taken up by everything about VR. So when I went back to, to school the next semester, I called everyone that I knew who had ever mentioned VR to me and was looking up everything on campus related to VR, the VR club, uh, the research lab at Stanford, the virtual human interaction lab. Uh, I applied for a job there. Um, ended up getting my master's thesis with Jeremy Balenson, who's the, the head of the lab there, and just totally fell in love with uh, everything VR. And since that was sort of sort of my in with uh, the the virtual human interaction lab, I, I come from it from a very research perspective side of, of how does VR interact with our brains, our psychology, our emotions. Um, physiologically, the, the impact of VR is so incredible and can leave such lasting impacts. So my research there was actually more so on the, the medical side of VR experiences, how we can help make patients um, feel more comfortable, feel safer. Specifically, I was working with the Children's Hospital. How can we help kids sort of relax in a traumatizing, intense medical procedure kind of context? Um, and the, the same sort of power that VR has in that situation, which is immersing the, the, the student or the patient in a world and leaving them with this sort of outlasting impact, whether it's pain remediation or, um, you know, remembering certain experiences through storytelling, a lot of the same elements come out. And so it was very, it made a lot of sense to transfer the, the knowledge I was getting from my research into more education context and use of VR. Um, and so when David and I ended up reconnecting a few years after I graduated through through connections and you know people passionate about VR, I jumped at the opportunity to to do VR and and learning together, and Amazing. biology. Amazing, so, is it great? And speaking of all that, we're here today to talk mostly about your uh, recent game that has come out uh, in the Meta Store Nano. And I'll give it a bit of background, but certainly I'm going to have you two unpack it more and do it more justice. But you know, one of the things that struck me about Nano is it is, as Emily talked about, story-driven. Not only that, but the story's really interesting, completely relevant. And the experience itself left me in awe because I was actively engaged with the material. And so, you know, why don't I sort of drop the mic there and pass it on to either David or you, Emily, to tell us a bit about Nano and how you came about with this idea of wrapping it in the story that you did. 
Well, thanks a lot, Craig. That, that means a lot that you uh, uh, found something to enjoy in it. Um, I'll just give a little thumbnail of the experience itself. Um, it actually came from some grants that we won from the U.S. Department of Education and National Institutes of Health in order to explore how to do immersive science education. Um, and uh, a lot of that was, you know, how can we build next generation science standards principles into these engaging VR experiences? So we always kind of say we take uh, the integrity of science as seriously as we take game design, and we want both of those things to be strong. And so in Nano, the goal was to, um, you know, bring to life the world of cell biology and the central dogma of biology, which is that DNA becomes RNA, becomes proteins, and your body is essentially made of proteins and all the little machines in it are protein machines, and and it all comes from the DNA uh, in your cells. So that was the beginning of the challenge is how do we take what we view as just an incredible, amazing, even magical set of um, you know, processes from, from nature and make them both accessible and, and engaging and fun in, in a way that, that will also make a learning impression so that when these students go through this, they, they remember and understand some of the processes. Um, and so part of that is coming up with a good story. And um, I can toss it over to you, Emily, if you want to talk about the story part of it a bit more. Yeah. So the the basic premise and story from a game perspective um, of Nano is essentially there's a pandemic, um, very relatable, a mysterious virus called the uh, Pandora virus has sort of swept the world and patients are somewhat mysteriously getting sick with very intense symptoms, getting a bunch of other infections along the way. And the player is tasked to operate and learn to operate a synthetic immune cell to go into these infected patients' bodies and, and gather information about the Pandora virus, all the while fighting off whatever infection that patient may have. So I, I sort of think about it as like a spaceship fighting game, strategy game, except instead of operating a spaceship, you're operating an immune cell. Um, and within that. Exactly. That's the nano drone within the immune cell. So you're a teeny tiny robot that is the operator of an immune cell. Um, and the narrative is, is something that I push for in, in all of our experiences. We have a couple of other curriculum that we do, but the narrative for me, is sort of the core of all games and I think can be the core of a learning experience. It's the why behind you do, behind, the why behind anything that you do in a game, right? It's why you care about Zelda. It's why you do the career track in FIFA. It's sort of the stakes of what you're doing. And so we wanted to make a really strong narrative for this game in order to set up the stakes of why do you care about building proteins? You care about building proteins so that you can fight off the mean, ugly bacteria and save this patient from the Pandora virus infection that's wreaking havoc on its immune system. So you set up the story, you get the buy-in, and it motivates them to learn the ins and outs of the mechanics, and in this case, the ins and outs of the biology behind the game. The other thing, again, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to play it. The other thing that struck me as a longtime science teacher and someone who loves game games, and David, you said this best, you know, VR really has a lot of its superpowers in taking something 
conceptually complex and breaking it down to the learner to understand it. And homeostasis to me is also so key in this game and how hard it is. You know, you, the individual uh, protagonist in the game, have to work really hard at maintaining some sort of homeostasis within the ship slash cell, which I thought was quite brilliant. I know when I first uh, started the game, there were some options that educators might be interested in just learning quickly about, and that is you could click on different levels at the start of the game, whether that was a beginner or an expert. You know, tell us briefly about how those different levels when you start the game differ. Sure, yeah. Well, it's sort of a standard uh, difficulty picker. So you can pick from easy to extreme. And um, on a basic level, uh, it's just how much action and chaos is happening in the game, how many pathogens are flying at you, how fast you have to operate the cell. Um, uh, But from a kind of pedagogical perspective, the easier levels might just be kind of a, a simpler, more accessible way in for students that um, might not have a lot of, uh, or any VR experience or teachers or anyone that wants to focus a bit more on just sort of getting their feet wet inside this world of the cell without too much pressure to fight all the, the battles. Uh, but then at, at the same time, uh, for the game side of this, and we, we have released it as a game on the MetaQuest store, um, and we think of it as a, a game with real science in its DNA. For people that want to play it as a game, you can put it on extreme mode and it gets pretty tough and high action. And you kind of have to master a lot of these cell biology mechanics in order to produce enough of the kind of immune weapons and energy and uh, amino acids and everything that you need to operate the cell. Well said. Uh, you know, and to add to that, just to give learners a bit of perspective, not not to wreck the whole game for them. But, you know, one of the first tasks I had to do once I shrunk down uh, into my ship and was inside the cell was to start to make energy. And so I had to do this by splitting uh, glucose. And then I had to take that and drop it into the mitochondria. And that that was repetitive to a certain extent. So, you know, therein lies the delicate sort of art of game making is how did you guys know how many times I should do that to plop X amount of energy into the mitochondria before, you know, you sort of said, okay, I think they get that sort of process. Now let's get the game moving on to the next set of processes that a cell might have to do. Sure. So we um, uh, maybe it'd be good to paint a little bit picture of you know what you see when you're standing in the cell. So you're you're mostly standing in the center of this cell, and then uh, on one side you have the mitochondria, which is your your energy generator, um, and you can feed it uh, glucose that you've processed through this little cluster of enzymes to become pyruvate, and that's how you generate energy. And then uh, you have your nucleus next to you, which contains all the DNA, and you can summon RNA from the nucleus. And the RNA are the kind of transcribed genes from your DNA that then convert into proteins. 
uh, the, the enzymes and everything else that your body needs. And that happens at the ribosome, which is right below. So you have kind of your, your greatest hits of cell organelles, and each of them has a very specific function in helping to make um, and uh, package the proteins. You also have the, the Golgi body that packages them and microtubules that are sending things around the cell and outside the cell to um, get, you know, your defense proteins outside to fight the, the, uh, any attacking pathogens. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff going on at, at any given time. And like you said, Craig, part of the art of making games is finding the right balance where you have to do these processes enough to understand how to do them, but you don't want to be so caught up that it gets boring or, or frustrating um, to the player and they're, you know, get distracted and maybe the bad guy comes in and kills the cell because they were trying to make energy. And so that came through just the process of uh, user testing and getting a lot of people to try various iterations of the game as we went through. And we did find that people were saying, I keep running out of energy because I'm not processing enough glucose at the mitochondria and, and I'm dying because of that. And so we sort of kept turning the dials to find the right mix of, um, you know, how much you had to do that while also keeping in mind, we do want people to get enough reps in of these processes so that they can build a mental model of how the cell works. Um, and so that was the balance we just kind of came to through iteration and testing and feedback from users. Emily, you're the one with the biology background and experience. And so I'm going to lean on you for this. So uh, the naysayers out there might might say to you, well, it's not quite 100% accurate. You've sort of glossed over a few key uh you know, minute details in the process of either making the energy from the mitochondria or packaging things in the Golgi body or using the lysosome to kill. What would be your response to that? Um, very, very good thing to bring up because that was a huge topic of conversation throughout development of, of sort of threading the needle on, on how much to leave out and, and what to include and, and how much detail to get into it. Cause these are obviously incredibly complex, like in some cases, thousands of steps in, in, for example, like copying an MRNA strand, um, thousands of nucleotides. So we took a lot of care in deciding what information to leave in and what information to leave out. And I would say for the most part, we, tried to make the decision such that the general takeaway of what you're doing in VR is the general takeaway of what you would be learning in a science textbook. Broad strokes, if you were to describe what happened in layman's language, what you did in the game, it would be the same as what you would describe in the textbook. The details are potentially different. For example, we, we keep talking about making energy. Um, Splitting the glucose into two pyruvate is a nine-step process carried out by uh, nine different enzymes and has a lot of different steps. And we simplify it as like a saw mechanic where you just take this two-pronged thing and turn it into two separate objects. So a lot is lost there, but the takeaway is you take something, you split it into something smaller so that you can make energy out of that. Um, 
and that's the the general takeaway of of making energy of that particular step, which is glycolysis. So we did have to make some simplifications because it's a game. We wanted it to be fun. We didn't want you to get lost in the minutia of the biology. Um, but if you are interested in learning more about the biology of the game, we wanted to make sure that we offered those resources so that you can see where we made some of those simplifications. And we have that available on a website that's still a work in progress because it's a lot of detail to get in there, but it's the Reality Check website, which you can find at lighthouse.us slash nano. Lighthouse, L-I-G-H-T-H-A-U-S dot U-S slash nano. And that's our Reality Check website. I'll put it Mm -hmm. in the show notes too. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. So there's there's more information on the real biology there and sort of breaks down some of the some of those oversimplifications that we did to help facilitate fun and getting the general vibe. Um, and but, yeah. I mean this this general vibe, you know, if you look at instructional design, cognitive science, you know, we call this building schema. So schema are these broader blocks of things. And I think, you know, Emily, you said it so well. And the fact that you're offering, you know, a companion place for people to get deeper into all the detailed minutiae, you know, speaks volumes of your understanding of this. And that is that, you know, if we look at the journey of learning something from a beginner all the way down this windy highway that ends up them being an expert, that learning journey should contain a variety of different experiences. One of them being maybe reading out of the textbook or the teacher sort of presenting a small little lecture. But as they build towards this expertise, they need to to take chunks of information like what you talked about, whether that's glycolysis, and put it in a schema. And a game like this so helps them build these shelves of schema so that they can take something that they did in a different learning experience, i.e. lecture, worksheet, textbook, and package it onto a shelf that they can retrieve later. So I really see immersive learning and experiences like this as doing that. And it, it's just it's taken a few years to, to convince educators that we need to build these types of schema and VR games and experiences like what you guys are doing, which make it active, hands-on. Like I had, it's so funny, I explained to a colleague the other day after playing your game, a whole bunch of these things. And it's been a long time since I taught cell biology, yet I was able to spew out so quickly due to the repetition that you talked about, David and Emily, how to do some of these cell processes. And it's been 10, maybe 15 years since I taught cell biology, which again, is a testament to the fact that we have to start to sort of maybe start broad, but as we build to schema, these games just help solidify things. Does anyone want to chime in and just add to that before we move on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, these topics all resonate with us very much, and there are things that are sort of just fundamental to our process and and what we care about and what we want. And um, a really big part of what we want to do is just to get kids excited about science and learning and just to spark a fire of interest um, be, to show them how amazing these topics are. And, you know, they're not boring. They're the opposite of boring. They're just incredible natural phenomena 
that nature has devised and to give them some insight into how, how they work. And we're starting off in a way that is accessible and that, like you're saying, you can go down a very deep rabbit holes of learning um, from any one part of this and, and kind of fill in your model. Um, but to just give them the, the, the basic architecture and the basic place to start from and say, now, which parts of this are you more interested in? There's so many resources to fill it in, uh, but we want you to have that framework uh, and to feel like you're excited and then this is fun and let's learn more about it. Emily, I see you leaning in a bit. Were you, uh, you're about to jump on maybe a comment? I just, I, I just loved hearing you talk about your sort of reconnection with cell biology whenever I hear someone play the game and have that kind of reconnection or like a new sparked interest. It genuinely makes me so excited and so happy. So I leaning in because I was excited to to hear that and very sort of related. But yeah, it's a related point. One of my favorite parts of our game is our sort of unexpected character, Lisa, that is the lysosome. Um, and it's one of those small sort of exciting things that through testing and, and getting to watch people play seems to really resonate with people. Um, and it's something that makes me really happy to see and hear people talking about the lysosome with such adoration and companionship. Um, because I feel like, you know, sometimes we need to just love our organelles a little bit more. Yeah. And <laughs> making Lisa into a character like that is something that's brought me a lot of joy watching players get joy out of her. So just another sort of example of of making learning fun and engaging and playful and um, yeah, uh, gamified, I guess. <laughs> who who wouldn't want to be renamed from Suicide Sack to Lisa? So, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, I mean... Again, the other thing I noted as a longtime educator and appreciated was as I went through this learning journey, I was given more agency and responsibility to operate the processes within the cell. So the narrator guides me through at the start, you know, like David talked about, slows down some of the simple processes. But as in the game as things progress and you're starting to fight different pathogens when you weave through the gut you know i have to now be in control of and responsible for some of those backstories like you know all of a sudden the cell was starting to run out of energy and the narrator didn't pop up anymore to tell me how to do that i had to figure that out on my own you know we call this you know increase in challenge, they're called, it's called desirable difficulties, which is, you know, uh, it's harder, but we desire that level of difficulty, that sort of scaffolded level of it getting a little bit harder and a little bit harder, and that motivates people. And so I really, again, from a learning science perspective, I really appreciated it. And I think, again, that's what makes learning stickier because, you know, you have to give people agency and ownership uh, and then the tentacles that was another thing trying to I loved the mechanic once I had the microtubules where I could control the tentacles on the outside you know it wasn't obvious which again added that little bit of difficulty you know how I move my hands was just a little bit quirky and again I appreciated that and so I'm sure 
all of this came out in user testing, but these are the, as an educator, these are the things that I really appreciated about the game. Well, thank you again. Um, that's, it's really exciting to hear that. And um, yeah, that kind of goes to the core of what we do too, is, is we take, and we're doing this a little bit for chemistry right now, where we kind of dive into the guts of the subject and um, swim around and try to find these mechanics and, you know, in game design, people call them the verbs. What are the things that the players do? And so which parts of the science can we make into fun mechanics that the user can control and still maintain, you know, the integrity of the science. And so being able to control the, the tentacles of the phagocyte immune cell that absorb, you know, pathogens on the outside or to build strands of, of DNA or RNA um, and to build proteins and, and operate the cell. All those things came from us trying to think about what can we empower the students to be able to do that would be fun. Um, and so that's part of the fun of, of what we do is, is exploring how to kind of convert the concepts into these active mechanics. Movement in VR. Let's tackle that for a bit because we know uh, in the olden days, the roller coaster moment wrecked it for a lot of people. And pretty soon, you know, people were saying uh, VR just makes everyone sick. And, you know, we realize fast forward today and we, we've gotten much better at that. And we realize that maybe too much movement in VR is not a good thing for people. So you do have movement. The ship uh, navigates itself through i think it's the stomach am i right someone help me with the organelle that we're yeah we have you in the intestines and then in later levels you're in the heart and the bloodstream and the lungs and the eyeball and gets but, pretty deep in there but the movement was so gentle that again uh i don't have a queasy stomach in vr but i've had thousands of kids in vr and i can just know that this this gentle sort of movement will not be an issue. And so, you know, do you guys talk about that a lot? Because again, when you're designing a game and you have to get people to move, obviously you have to sort of think about how this is going to be done well. Yeah, um, that was, a. it's always a major conversation in any VR game is sort of how much movement will you let the player have in terms of teleporting around, moving around, um, how much freedom do they have to move around the space? And the, especially with working in schools, you want to be really conscious and careful of potential nauseating situations. Um, and a lot of that comes from trial and error and user testing and making sure that the most sensitive folks aren't getting sick in our game. Um, but we, we are in this particular game, tried to move towards a more sort of you are situated in a, in a singular space. So like you are not moving, yeah. um, everything that you need is immediately around you. You don't have to teleport to get anywhere or free move or, or anything like that. And that was a very conscious decision, but we did still want to give you the feeling of exploring. Uh, a bit and sort of moving through the body and that you're coming across new things and, and those elements, which is, which is why we had, we wanted to implement the, the movement um, and make it feel like you're moving through this massive body and like you're making an impact in your own small way through this single cell. Um, and we have so, a 
people on our, yeah. on our team that are extra sensitive to motion. So they're kind of our guinea pigs. And if they, if it passes their test, then we feel good about it. Um, but a lot of it is just kind of adjusting the speed of how fast the cell is moving through the organ that it's in. Um, and so we kind of found a good basic speed that's not too fast and doesn't feel sort of like a, a slow Disney Disneyland ride. <laughs> no, it's perfect. I Again, uh, I'm not sensitive, but I, I have a pretty good spider sense for what is, given that I've seen 5,000 kids go through it, and I thought it was well done and perfect. Um, you know, you talked about a few of the other uh, parts of the body that you go through. If someone's to play the commercial version of the game, you know, give or take, how long would you envision it takes them to do the whole entire experience? I want to say maybe a great question. four or five hours. We've played it so many times that we can go through it pretty quick. Um, so it sort of depends both on the level of difficulty that you select at the beginning and um, kind of how fast you catch on. But if you played it through and didn't die too many times, which is when the, the bad guys enter the cell or you run out of energy, probably four or five hours or so. It's good value yeah. for your money. Yeah. Now, uh, let's get into the uh, game word because, uh, again, having a lot of experience as an educational technologist in schools, sometimes parents see the word game and they're like, I don't want my kids playing games at school. You know, they come home and they play Minecraft and they play, you know, World of Warcraft or whatever else, you know, school is for, you know, traditional types of learning. So it's a very hot topic and it, it still kind of is. And yet you guys amazingly, and thank you very much for doing this, have built an educational game. So talk a bit more about that and how do you mitigate responses from maybe people like parents who don't know learning science or don't quite understand pedagogy that, you know, learning games are actually really valuable. Well, I would say that um, part of the conversation I think is that's overlooked in this, you know, back and forth between games and education is that we just haven't had uh, a lot of great examples of game powered learning in, you know, kind of the history of the whole thing. There, there are, you know, there's the Oregon trails and, and others that, that people have played and that they remember uh, a lot of which is because there haven't, haven't been too many different ones to remember. Um, but part of it is just, there hasn't been a huge investment in this world of, you know, where there's billions and billions of dollars being invested in these AAA, you know, uh, famous big, big budget games. Um, and there just hasn't been that level of investment in learning related games. And so I think that's a missing piece of it is people just don't have as many examples to choose from. But it doesn't mean there's anything inherent about, um, you know, a tension between games and, and education or that you can't have a fun education game or that a fun game can't be educational. Um, so really, it's it's just another layer of art and creation in, and that's sort of what we've been describing a bit in our processes. We want to go into these topics where we feel like they are, are very rich and interesting and full of mechanics uh, about how the world works. 
um, and then turn those into mechanics that are fun for students to play. And, and that in so doing, they understand the processes and remember the processes. Um, so that, that kind of distinction to us is just um, something that is largely be because people haven't seen enough good examples yet. And that's part of what we're trying to do is offer more good examples. I think to add on to that as well, um, I think that education or, or learning and games are sort of natural fits for each other because there's so many things in gaming that line so perfectly with learning and the way learning works. Games are designed to teach you things. They're designed to teach you mechanics. They're scaffolded so that you don't feel like you're trying too hard to learn them. Uh, they're very complicated, intricately designed worlds and verbs like we used before, things that you do, things you need to know how to do and why you're doing them. Um, and the way that I like to think about Nano and the way that I that I often describe it to, to friends and family is that instead of immersing yourself into some sort of fantastical gaming world that frequently you do in these bigger budget games, we are immersing you into the world of the cell, the world of the human body and the mechanics and the world and lore, if you will, of the game is the science of that world and the things that we're scaffolding and having you learn through storytelling and the tutorial and the voiceover and all of these sort of game elements are to facilitate you learning these biology concepts. And it's taking the incredible power that gaming, the gaming industry has figured out and perfected, which is teaching you things that are really complicated and hard to learn, but you don't feel like you're learning at all. You feel like you're having fun. That's the power of a game and applying it to, to subjects that scare kids away, like science, um, biology, chemistry, genetics, whatever it might be. Um, and so I think that, yeah, like David said, it's a, it's a lack of, of exposure to games that really bridge the gap really well between education and a really fun game. Yeah, well said. And I know before we hit record, I mentioned that I've been in a few virtual reality experiences, which were cells or the stomach. And unfortunately, they left me wanting more because all I did when I went into a virtual reality uh, cell was I could click on the lysosome and it would tell me what its function was, or I would click on the mitochondria and it would tell me what it did. But what left me wanting more was I wasn't actively doing anything in there. And so then I kind of forgot, you know, what the lysosome did within a day or two. But as I said to you before, just, you know, the other day, I was just completely explaining the processes that I was using from your game inside the cell. I'm mindful of time. So I, I want to leave you an opportunity to talk about maybe anything that we haven't sort of dived into yet. Maybe there's something that was left unsaid that you guys really wanted to talk about as it pertained to Nano or what's what's next uh, for Lighthouse. Sure. Well, uh, one, uh, I'll say a little piece about sort of the future of VR and education. But before that, maybe a, a moment for plugging or giving people uh, uh, some websites where they can find things. Um, our website is Lighthouse, L-I-G-H-T. H-A-U-S dot U-S. 
Um, and if you want to find Nano itself, you can go to the MetaQuest store and just search Nano, and then you can download it and, and give it a try. Um, and uh, you can reach me at david at lighthouse.us. Once again, L-I-G-H-T-H-A-U-S.us. And Emily is emily at lighthouse.us. Easy to remember. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Craig, thank you so much for having us. And I think I would say that just looking into the future of uh, virtual reality in the classroom, it's... Um, We've been doing this stuff for, for almost 10 years and uh, doing VR in class really since, the, since it was even possible, which was sort of in the 2018, 2019 um, period when the first Oculus Quest came out. That was the kind of the, the first one that you didn't have to connect to a computer with all the wires and stuff. Um, and so if you look at that span of time, things have moved very fast because when we started a few years ago, you had to bring up a heavy laptop and wires and sensors and tripods and everything just to get any one VR set up. And now we can wheel a cart of 20 headsets into a classroom and they come pre preloaded with the software and they're on the Wi-Fi and everything. Um, so in that short time, we've progressed very quickly, but we're still kind of on the precipice of when can that become even more accessible and more affordable and um, crucially, when will we have you know a, a catalog of super high quality learning experiences, not just in the sciences, but in the humanity, in language, in math, um, and that's the kind of the critical mass that uh, will make uh, VR learning ubiquitous in schools because it'll be an obvious no-brainer investment where you buy the headsets and then you get this great library of super high quality engaging content. And we've already seen from the teachers. Um, you know, dozens and dozens of teachers and thousands of students in schools across the, the U.S., that that part is clear. This, the teachers love doing it because of the reasons we've talked about it. It gets students excited and gives them a way to get them active. And it's just a new, a new window into these concepts. Um, it's just a matter of making it easy for them to access uh, and making it affordable. Um, and so, like I said, from that slightly zoomed out view, things are moving pretty quickly. And we're just at that point where we need a few more things to fall into place for it to be that much more easy to access and, and, uh, and to use. Well said. Emily, last word to you, my friend. Um, I'm, 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 I'll just re reflect what David is saying about being very excited about the future of VR in education and in classrooms. And right now we're working on doing exactly that, partnering with schools, partnering with teachers, trying to get Nano into the hands of as many students as possible, keep improving our games and experiences and, and diving into more curriculum. We're hopefully going to launch a, a chemistry experience soon. So keep an eye out for more science learning VR experiences. Amazing. Listen, you two, thanks so much for, for two things. One, of course, coming on the show, but more importantly, number two, making a game that counts. And, you know, I mentioned this before, I think we've turned a corner on, you know, what we really want learning to look like inside VR, and it shouldn't replicate what a textbook or a YouTube video can do. It needs to be something incredibly active and contextual so that we can unlock these bigger concepts and you guys are doing it. So thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, I look forward to keep connecting with you. Thank, Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Craig.